Will you pray with me? God, bless us this morning with open ears. Bless us with open hearts and bless us with open minds that we may hear your word anew today and by it we may be transformed. Amen. Our scripture today comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, which you can find on page 959 of your Pew Bible. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and had been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak not to please mortals, but to please God, who tests our hearts, as you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others. Though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I grew up in a home on Nautilus Trail, and though the street name may have been right at home somewhere here on the Florida coast, I grew up pretty far away from here. My Nautilus Trail is in Aurora, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland, and very far away from any real coast. The nautical-themed road names in the neighborhood I grew up in are inspired by the lake that the neighborhood borders a lake that is labeled on Google Maps as a pond, but for my family and for our people on Nautilus Trail, it was our home and the grounding for which we understood community. My parents don't live in Ohio anymore, but our family's neighbors there were and still are some of our closest friends. Our street was the real down-to-earth type, come-as-you-are kind of place, kids running from house to house barefoot, and on a few more chaotic occasions, the family dogs doing the same. Our neighborhood functioned as an extended family. I had extra parents loving me, and when I needed it, correcting me. And I had extra siblings to have fun with, and when we needed it, that I got corrected with. The families on our street often shared meals, shared possessions as needed, and even shared a single garage door code between some of our houses because it made all the sharing easier. It was through these relationships, 
ones laced with humility and care and generosity, that I came to understand the treasure of trust. In our text today, Paul is writing to the, thir- to the church in Thessalonica, and with the effect, he's doing it with the affection of a good old neighbor. We learn in Acts that Paul's productive time evangelizing to the people there was cut short after officials learned that he was speaking against Caesar, proclaiming that Jesus is king. He and Silas were then swiftly run out of town, but the Thessalonian church continued to grow. Eventually, Timothy visits Paul's old friends there and brings news back to Paul that they are well, thriving, in fact. Paul is compelled to write to them, giving thanks for their faithfulness and reflecting on his time with them. With this church, Paul shared the gospel, the good news as it had been entrusted to him, and in his reflection, begins to unpack what it is that one is to do with such great a gift as being entrusted with the gospel. Leadership coach Charles Feltman says that trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of somebody else. Shame researcher Brene Brown adds to his definition that trust is also to brave connection with someone. It involves integrity. It asks you to put your courage over your comfort. I think Paul would have agreed. For Paul and for us, being entrusted with the gospel requires a response. Paul reminds the church that he has been bold in his sharing of the gospel, and that despite opposing systems and the assumption of risk, he has put courage over comfort and continues to proclaim the good news honestly. Beyond sharing the gospel, though, Paul reminds the church that he is living into the gospel by the way he has built relationships with and come to care and love their community tenderly. Modeling that Christian leadership isn't about having power and influence, but it's about healthy relationships, ones laced with humility and care and generosity, You know what communities I think are particularly good at this work? This living emboldened while building tender relationships kind of work? It's elephants. Elephants have long been my favorite animal. That's because as a child, elephants were the natural animal to pair with Aaron, as we both have E names. And the first thing I need you to know about elephants is that it has been rumored that the brain activity of an elephant upon seeing a human is nearly the same as what happens in the brain of a human upon seeing a puppy. So that means that out in the world, there are at least half a million sweet creatures that upon laying eyes on you think, aw, puppy. And if that's not tender love, I am not sure what is. Now something 
you should know about me is that my TV entertainment preferences tend to fall in one of two categories, either really terrible reality TV or documentaries. And one of my favorite documentaries is simply titled Elephant, predictable. It follows a herd of elephants on their yearly migration across the Kalahari Desert. Led by their matriarch, Gaia, the herd is made up of mothers and sisters, aunties, cousins, and friends. A family of bold elephant ladies bound together by their mutual commitment to one another. The documentarians catch the family as they play with each other, teach their youth to be joyful, and as they rely on their impressive memory to inform their journey across the desert each year. At one point, as they trek across the desert, navigating with muscle memory, their trunks begin to lift in the air, and carefully with their trunks lifted, they approach a dried up watering hole. There they discover what they seemingly already knew would be waiting there for them. The long past remains of another elephant. First, the matriarch traces the dry bones with her trunk, grieving, remembering, or maybe simply ritualizing. She creates space for her family to do the same. Shawnee, Gaia's sister, leads her young son Jomo to the bones. She lifts one of the bones with her trunk and passes it to him, very literally teaching him to tenderly hold grief, faith, and hope for his extended community. Elephants are wild animals. They don't stand to gain much of anything from their ritualization or in their grief. Yet they do it anyway, an honest expression of humility and care, which proves to be transformative to their understanding of the journey they're on. They gently sit down the dry bones and trek on together, reverently continuing to use centuries-old elephant paths through the desert. I think we can live a lot about, learn a lot about living into the gospel from the elephants. It's not light work. Paul makes that clear. To share and to live into the gospel requires careful discernment, tricky balancing of tension, and sometimes even risk. Living into the gospel means embracing the good news of Christ's love and grace for ourselves and extending it to others generously. We're not the first to be entrusted with the gospel, not the first called to share and live into it. Before us, a long line of saints has navigated the same great privilege. Likewise, a long line of saints before us promise to guide and nurture us in our faith and our baptisms. They have taught us to celebrate joy and to sit in grief and to trust our ability to faithfully navigate a sometimes messy journey. We live lives riddled with tension. So much of our lives seem to be bound to it these days. Will that conversation lead to another disagreement? Is this topic too hot? Is no one else seeing this? 
Was my response appropriate? Did I go too far? How much comfort am I willing to put on the line? When we recognize injustice in our communities, where the tension of differences in opinion, seeming lack of mutual consideration, and indifference to the circumstances of others is all evident in the ways we witness people interact with one another, we must lean in, we must put our courage over comfort and respond with bold tenderness. In our effort to follow the path of Christ, in exemplifying God's love with our neighbors and uplifting those who are oppressed, in feeding the hungry, nurturing children, in offering second chances in our fellowship and in our worship, we are guided by a God who shows us the way, a God who has shown us that with this good news, the world may be changed, that this good news will break down barriers. It is the hope of resurrection and the grace of Christ. It is good news that transforms those who hold it and calls for its goodness to be shared in all the things, in all the ways, always. So when our community looks to us, when the world looks to us, they will see and recognize people who care, people who certainly do not assume they are better than anyone else in the room, but people who teach the youth of our community to breathe and sit in the grief of heart moments and to celebrate in life's joys because we're the church together, because we're here and our love is laced with humility and care and generosity and we are so ready to share it. Y'all, this gospel is for us, but not only is it for us, the gospel has been entrusted to us. Live motivated by a gift so great as that. Live boldly and honestly and tenderly. Share the good news with humility and care and generosity. For a world that needs it, may it be so in my life and in yours and in our faithful lives together always. Amen. I'd like to ask Suzanne Burns and Michaela Fredrickson to come and share with us about you, Kirk, for a few moments. Good morning. I am here as both a UKirk board member and a parent of students that have had the benefit of being at UKirk. What UKirk is, is literally University Church. This is the building that is across from the College of Music at FSU, but it serves FSU, FAMU, and TCC. My idea today is to tell you a little bit about it so that you can invite people that are at those universities to drop by and feel welcome. Um, Aaron did a wonderful job of setting this up with trust and community because that's exactly what UKirk is. It's a dynamic and multifaceted ministry and includes worship, community, residential programs, and a student-run not-for-profit coffee shop. If you not, have not been to Calvin's yet, you need to go visit, have a latte, a tea, a coffee, or any of the wonderful mixes those students have thought up. Um, it is a non-denominational outreach 
in that everyone is welcome. Calvin's invites a large swath of our campus community, and I think that makes our center even more special than other outreach centers because we have a place where students can gather. I'm going to uh, let Michaela for right now tell you a little bit about it. All three of my students, my students, I'm sorry, I'm a teacher too. <laughs> All three of my children have benefited, have gone to college Montreat, and that the, that's the natural uh, voyage from Dogwood and then middle school Montreat, and then you go on to college Montreat. So I'm sure you know somebody you can talk to about this. While I just graduated in May from a small college down in Melbourne, Florida, and I'm in a gap year while I apply to grad school, um, I've found it very difficult to find a group of people around my age who believe what I believe. I mentioned this to Matt Fries, the campus minister at UKirk, and he invited me to come and experience one of their Thursday night dinners and their worship session together. I've gone ever since. I find myself often thanking God when I come home each Thursday night from UKirk, and it overflows into my prayer life, so I just wanted to share some of what I have thought about the experience with you. God, thank you so much for UKirk for this place to gather with people around my age and eat together in fellowship, to praise you together, to discuss you together and challenge one another's understandings of you together, to take communion together, especially on weeks where I work weekends at the hospital and can't go to church, it makes a big difference. It's also nice, if difficult, to be challenged in my faith and my understanding of the Bible, to have people voice the doubts and concerns that silently plague me and for us to work on and through that. No, not us, for your spirit to work on and through. So this is a plea for you to get involved in the biggest thing that you can do is pray for our students, for our board, and for our ministry staff, Matt Fries and uh, Mary Steen, and we also have uh, Brad who is on the board. Do stop by Calvin's for a coffee. It's a special place and you'll see all kinds of students. You can sign up to provide a meal for our weekly free community dinner, which is open to anyone on all three campuses. You can join on a work day to help improve the property in the building. And you can contribute to our Friends Fund, either annually, quarterly, or monthly, by going to ukirktallahassee.com. Thank you for your time. <laughs>